0: In the Grotto Pod. I'm in the Grotto Pod. Guess who's not in the Grotto Pod? Bridget Quinn, author, is not in the Grotto Pod, but she has been, I won't say replaced. We've got a stand in, a, a substitute.
1: Who's laughing?
0: Who's laughing quietly? <laughs> Producer Laurie Ann Doyle, former Grotto Pod guest, uh, is sitting in for BQ this week as we interview our guest Lydia Keisling. Kiesling. Kiesling. You know, if you're a regular GrottoPod listener, you'll know that I am the king of mispronunciation.
1: (laughs) I can relate to that.
0: I will never have that job of the elderly Jesuit who stood at the stage and said everyone's name before we graduated. Lori, welcome to the GrottoPod.
1: Thank you. I'm really happy to be here.
0: I'm happy to have you, because otherwise I'd be doing this alone. (laughs) So before we got on the mic here, um, actually, you know, before we go into Lydia, let's, since you're not always in the grotto pod, and I always know exactly what Bridget's doing because she's in the grotto pod, let's get up to date with you.
1: Um, I'm, I'm also a fiction writer, just like our next guest, Lydia Kiesling. Ooh. I'm working on a novel.
0: Working on a novel? Your last one was short stories? Yeah,
1: I'm working on i I'm not going to tell you what it's about because I believe that Jinx is it.
0: It's like a no-hitter.
1: <laughs> it's a no-hitter. Um, uh, and forgive me. But it is historical fiction. Based oh, really? Based in San Francisco.
0: Oh, so here's the cool thing.
1: I'm also working on a short story based on the solar eclipse.
0: I remember from when we had you on and from just conversations we've had that you and your family is pretty rooted in this area. In fact, pretty rooted. So the cool thing is now we're going to be able to contrast that with Lydia, who I don't Toph, I'm am I speaking out of turn here when I say that her writing seems characterized by not being rooted? Huh.
1: That's you know, I think that's really astute. I really I'm not being funny. I mean that.
0: I can tell you're not smiling.
1: I, I mean that I think that's really astute. Um do you want me to tell you a little bit about Lydia?
0: Sure. Tell us about Lydia. Give <laughs> us her bona fide, but don't go too much.
1: <laughs> Here's her bona fide. She's editor chief of the editor in chief of the millions. And we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, she calls herself a Foreign Service brat. She was mm-hmm. born in Israel and lived in Armenia, Greece, and all over the place. Morocco as well. Morocco, while her father was had various diplomatic posts.
0: You kind of want to know what those posts were, huh? <laughs> I do.
1: <laughs> he was in the Foreign Service, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that peripatetic upbringing, I think, really informs her debut novel, which is called The Golden State. Right. Which will be out September 4th.
0: Right. And... Um, Available for pre-order now. <laughs> right. Uh, and I think it, it seems like she – well, and again, I don't know her. I haven't met her. This is just from – gleaned from, from her – what small biographical information I have. And from writings of hers that I've read, it seems like this idea of being displaced and moving around and arriving on the scene and dealing with people who haven't been moving around is a pretty consistent theme. In her book. Lori's nodding. That's how I can tell I'm on to Well, I think here.
1: that's really true. And I think that she's always looking for home, always looking yeah. to create home. And she has a home of sorts. I mean, we'll talk more about this, I think, with her 16 month old because.
0: That's how old her kid is? Yeah. Ooh,
1: boy. Parenting, you know, parenting a toddler sort of roots you and uproots you. Again, an interesting discussion topic. But um, yeah, she's very much uh, in limbo.
0: She is. And in fact, even I read something she had written, I think for the millions, about trying to buy a house in San Francisco, which of course is you know everyone's favorite impossible. thing to talk about, mm-hmm. and impossible, but underneath the, fas- the the sheen of everyone's complaint about trying to buy a house in San Francisco was that idea that all I want is a home, some place to roost, you know, some place to sit down and feather my nest. And I, I got a, uh, any more metaphors you want? And to if we here? dare Bird call metaphors. it the
1: Golden City. Sure, since it was the first city in in California, the Golden State, yeah, yeah, obviously refers to california well again i I know we'll talk more about that, but um, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to land here in the city by the bay,
0: or even i mean i I guess though even past that, she just wants to land somewhere
1: oh yeah. Oh, yeah, Daphne. it's Daphne funny. is the main character, yeah. This
0: place is a weird thing because while my brand, my personal brand is hating San Francisco, most people's personal brand is loving it mm. and, and living with this idea that if you can't be here, then bummer. Like, where are you going to be if you can't be here, right? So there's so much wrapped up in making this the home, you know? And in, in the Golden State, she leaves. And I haven't – have you read the whole book?
1: No, but okay. I read – lots of it and i simply love
0: it and you had asked me before and the question is can she go back once she's left or does she find something new yeah
1: well it, can can she go home
0: yeah yeah can and, she go home again can anyone go home thomas Paine?
1: no i i don't think so you're breaking um, my heart i don't think it's thomas Paine.
0: it isn't uh, who is it oh it it's is. uh shoot wolf thomas wolf the Homeward angel i don't know you know i'm, no, but, no, I'm no, barely it, i'm barely read. i'm Mostly literate. Don't worry
1: about <laughs> it. I think the question is a really good one because um, Daphne, yeah, she flees San Francisco for the high desert of northern, of northeastern California, which is a little-known part of California, which, again, to me, makes the book really interesting. Yeah. And um, she's thinking, oh, well, I'll go back to my childhood. I'll find right. Comfort, I'll com- find comfort there. And what she finds is a whole lot of um,
0: – Not comfort.
1: Can I say that S H
0: You can say whatever you want Bridget does it all the time and sometimes when it gets too bad I have this bongo sound effect that I use to cover What she
1: finds is a lot of shit.
0: <laughs>
1: so much shit. But she finds the you know, the countryside is gorgeous. Gorgeous in a completely different way than the mm-hmm. bay area, but you know, full of fescue, if I'm saying that right, juniper, just sweeping vistas. Oh, I love the high desert. This is a this was a book made for me because I yeah. love the high desert.
0: And California. You're
1: a California. But, you know, I've spent many years in Connecticut. So Mm. I have to tell you, it gave me a deep appreciation for California (laughs) and, in particular, San Francisco.
0: Even, like, not just during the winter?
1: Oh, no, just because we would visit because we still had relatives here. And I would be like, ah, this felt like home.
0: Oh, you know what? I had a friend of mine was in town two weeks ago, and they live in New Jersey now. But he grew up in the city and lived in um, Belvedere for a long time. Oh, yeah. And he was having that. Oh, my God. Can you see that sunset? I know. Oh, look at the water.
1: The yeah. air feels different. The air feels, it's moister, obviously, but also feels lighter. I don't know. There's something <laughs> fantastic about this city. Not just the city, but California, but particularly the Bay Area. That's why I live here, obviously. But, yeah, Daphne live, flees.
0: Yeah. please, yeah. please, please. Well, let's go. Uh, we're, so we're going to talk a lot about home. We're going to talk about displacement. We're going to talk about fitting in and not fitting in. All kinds of stuff with Lydia Keisling Kiesling, Kiesling. Twice, Kiesling, Twice. Kiesling. Twice I did it. Just
1: say, uh, uh, Lori, I'm going to let you pronounce. Lori, every time Lydia's,
0: time. <laughs> I'll just call her Lydia. We'll get real yeah, tight, Lydia, real quick. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, so we're going to go get her now as soon as she uh, lets us know where she's here, and then we'll go from there. Great. Lydia Kiesling. I'm saying that because I mispronounced it twice during the intro as "Kaisling." Oh,
2: that's okay. See, she's <laughs> she's cool
0: with it. Uh, welcome to the Grotto Pod. Good to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: You wisely took off your sweater because it's going to get warm.
1: <laughs> no it's t- the Grotto Pod. It gets
0: no. I, I, seriously, we've had some people. One Gordon Jack, YA author, referred to it as a sweatbox, which okay. on Twitter, which I wasn't. Super
1: psyched.
0: The, the sauna, But uh, let's go ahead and dive in. So you're, this, uh, the Golden State comes out September 4th, right? Mm-hmm. So what remains to be done between now and then for you?
2: Um, things like this mostly. Um, yeah. I have some kind of email interview questions to answer. Um, I'm trying to write and place the dreaded pre-publication essays. Um, but based on this <laughs> timeline, I feel like they're mostly going to be post-publication essays. Um,
0: Okay, so that, I'm glad you brought. <laughs> <to interrupt here.
2: laughs> I'm glad
0: you brought that up for a number of reasons. First, because as not having published a novel or a collection, that is foreign to me, and I'm assuming foreign to some of our listeners as well. The idea of pre-publication essays and their mm-hmm. purpose and what you do, and also because isn't there a symbiotic relationship between the two of you and pre-publication essays? <laughs>
2: uh, yes, we um, published one of Lori's essays at the Millions. Um, a really lovely piece on uh, setting and craft. Um but that was a really good example of that of the form so <laughs> and the purpose
0: well, yeah,
1: yeah, and I, and I purpose. think we have to jump in here and say that Lydia is the editor in chief of the millions.
0: did we not say that in the intro? Uh,
1: we did okay, good but, yeah you 're right. We I, just say it again. just remind you, yeah, just to remind <laughs> the listeners, um, but I just think it 's so interesting for you because you are taking off one hat and putting on a different hat. Mm-hmm. Because when I pitched you my essay on the setting, which I loved, I loved writing. I mean, it didn't come, nothing in writing for me comes that easily, but it was a fun essay to write, and it was fun to see it in the, the millions, but, um, and you were great to work with. Thank you so much. Really advice. But um, now, you're, well, maybe you could yeah, talk it's... to us a little bit about just what your role is at the millions, what is the millions, you know, people, okay. the title don't. I'm sure people ask you what <laughs> what is the millions is that the lottery? Um, and then just yeah, a little bit about
0: and then we'll get then we 'll circle back to the pre publication right. essays great
2: um, yes, so i 'm the editor of the millions i 've been in that role for about um, over two years now, just over two years, and the millions uh, for people who don 't know it 's a um, which is a lot of people <laughs> um, it 's an online uh, literary magazine. Uh, it We publish original work on books, reading, the writing, life, uh, generally speaking. Um, it started as a blog of a man named uh, Max McGee. He gave it the name The Millions. And he really grew it. So it's now about 15 years old. Uh, he grew it from his just one-man sort of solo mm-hmm. blog spot, um, these are some books I'm reading and enjoy, into this much larger thing um, with you know staff members and um oh you have to sneeze st- that's all right we allow <laughs> sneezing Lori
0: has to sneeze and to laugh.
1: yeah so I she's making all kinds of odds I was like am I
0: what's happening to do here <laughs> <laughs> I, I what, I does Lori to want to mint what's happening doing
1: super it's me um,
0: um, but so that's a 21st century success story right there
2: yeah I mean I think it's funny it, it exists in a very uh, this, it's a wonderful site and it's meant everything to me in my career as a writer um but it's sort of it's very emblematic of i think some of the kind of paradoxes of the digital age um So, you know, people ask me all the time, oh, you know, where's your office or how do you balance (laughs) your full-time job as an editor with, you know, your writing work? And there's no office. It's my couch and (laughs) it's Max's home office. And he has a full-time job that he does in addition to raising three small children. And he publishes the millions basically in whatever spare time he has. Um, I um, do receive, you know, I'm paid a stipend for the work, but it works out to... Um, I like to spend two hours per work day on it um, or week per weekday. So it sometimes, you know, is more and sometimes less, but it's definitely not a full-time enterprise. And but, but by
0: the same token, and, and actually um, Bridget, who's usually here hosting with me, we talked about this in the last episode. It's not a full-time enterprise, but do you have to take your laptop on vacation
1: uh yes. More yeah, or less. yeah. It's um, an intrusive yeah, enterprise. And you were, and you were <laughs> emailing me I think right after you gave birth. Yeah. I was like, yeah, there's <laughs> there's no downtime, but I'm so curious about the name, the Millions. Is that Millions of Books?
2: You know, Max has explained to me the origin of that and I wish I could remember because mm. some people do ask me and honestly, I I don't remember right. I mean, Mike, <laughs> I'm sorry Max if you overhear this. <laughs> Max is totally listening. Books, but um Yeah. Millions of essays. It's
0: certainly not millions millions of of dollars. Not not
2: millions of dollars. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, finding, I mean, he's just, you you should have him on the podcast one day. Yeah. We'd love to. Because I'm sort
0: of shocked we live in a world where a guy named Max McGee never gets Green Bay Packers stuff coming (laughs) out. Are we that young? Lori, (laughs) help me out here. MVP of Super Bowl one, Max McGee. Sorry. Wide receiver.
1: Soccer is my game.
0: <laughs> my dad's favorite trivia answer. Oh, I'm sorry. Max McGee. Showed up hungover. MVP of the Super Bowl
1: 1967. Well, that
0: makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Sort of legendary. Anyways, okay.
1: Back to the millions.
0: So as the editor of the millions, mm-hmm. then, you do have and understand the game of receiving a query from someone like Lori, mm-hmm. who has a book coming out. Mm-hmm. Now that the kind of shoes on the other foot, do you feel like you have... Um, not an advantage, but a, a sort of depth of knowledge of how that works? Or do you feel more like, oh, shoot, now I'm now I'm the one trying to get published? Or <laughs> can you just put it in the millions?
2: Um, it's, it's interesting. On the one hand, y- you sort of don't realize for a while that all of the kind of emails you get and the um, – galleys or advanced uh, reader copies you get that that has any kind of pertinence to your own life and then (laughs) i I, then i see you know you've got the book sitting here and you have the letter from the publicist and i was like oh i have one of those letters that is about my (laughs) book um which is nice in some ways but it's also i I, I, let's say it's um grounding to be on the Mm -hmm. receiving end of a lot of those Mm -hmm. emails because i know the volume of them i mean i could spend my allotted two hours a day just reading emails from publicists. And many of them are, you know... There's I don't fault them for this at all, but they're, you know, mass mailings. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all in basically the same format. They all, you know, say, just want to share this great starred review. Um, and so just seeing the volume of that, I think, kind of helps temper your own expectations about how your book will stand out in such a huge slew. Of and that's that's a books. good point because <laughs> it's very easy for
0: us as we sit in our Garrett's writing to, to take it personally and mm-hmm. go, oh, great. How come they're ignoring me? Yeah. You know, they're just sitting around with nothing to do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And what determines, and Laura, you can probably speak to this too. What determines the topic that you're going to choose to write about for a pre-publication essay that will help sell your book?
2: Well, I'm not actually convinced. Well, there are sort of. Um, I got a few ideas for you. <laughs> <laughs> there are different views on this subject um, based on my conversations with other writers and with publicists and editors. Um, my personal feeling is that it's not if it's not something that you want to write about anyway, it's just not worth tying yourself in knots to mm-hmm. uh, try and come up with something that you may or may not even be able to place um, because it's often very hard to find a home for writing uh, especially in a venue where it could be advantageous, you know just the number of people who would see it. So I just tried to. I mean, a lot of the things that I write about in the book are things I think about all the time anyway in other contexts, so I try to kind of pick some of those and write.
1: um, Let uh, me guess. (laughs) Mothering. Motherhood. That's one of them. Being an artist and a mother.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's one of them.
0: Place, Um, setting.
2: Yeah, place. um, I mean, some of them sort of are more tangential, but I uh, wrote a piece about Kind of administrative work and women in the white collar workforce. Oh, that's um, interesting. And some, you know, I tried to find other books to kind of be in conversation with. So those are the types you of. What's
1: that? I just think we should talk about that because you said, <laughs> I mean, we're.
2: Uh, you you have to ask ha- my had permission. a toddler.
1: I've had a toddler. Oh. You You, I think you've got two toddlers now, or. I have a three and a half year old and a ten month old. Yeah. So. I it, call that toddler, yeah. toddlerhood. It's the beginning toddler. and end of the yeah, toddler yeah, yeah. spectrum. Um, I just think that this idea that mothering and doing administrative work somehow is deeply connected, that really interested me because in my other life I was a manager and administrator and all that. And I'd really be interested to hear about your insights on that. I mean, I could talk about it, but I want to hear what you have to say. Um, Well, I have a um, piece,
2: I think, coming out soon that I'd be happy to share Um, because I actually I read a book um, called uh, Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber. And he talks about the white collar workforce and he's he's sort of like a celebrity scholar and was involved in like the Occupy movement. And um, but when I was reading his book, he talks about women in several juncture at several points in the book uh, and about how they often have some of the bullshit jobs and many, in many cases it's sort of doing the work that someone else is supposed to be doing um, and so I kind of wanted to corroborate that because my experience that, that felt true <laughs> I mean those are
0: jobs for women I mean I've been playing this wrong the whole time <laughs> why have I been doing these jobs
1: um, I know this is completely off the topic but I think there is there, it's not a coincidence that Theresa May became the Prime Minister of, of the of the UK when there was a mess to clean up oh. I just thought that was perfect. Of course, a woman. It is just to reiterate to what you're saying. She's sort of – she's having to mother the country through that. And, okay, and, but, you know.
0: but let's say then that that is – is, so you say you do have an essay on that coming out. Mm-hmm. So how do you think of that in terms of not to be crass but selling your book, getting I, attention for your book?
2: I have no feeling that that will sell my book. Um,
0: will it explain the book? Will it – you know what I mean? Yeah, I
2: think it, it definitely will um, – that one's kind of – it. I was sort of writing that one before I was thinking so much in terms of, like, pre-pub, but the timing has worked out. And I think – I mean, that is one of my ma- kind of major preoccupations and definitely, like, comes through the book. So uh, I think, you know – I have to hope that someone might see it and say, "Oh, this is interesting. What else has she done?" But I'm not really sure it works out yeah, that did way. I, very I often. I, did I see
0: a quote where you said you had intended to write a bureaucratic novel? Mm-hmm. Can you explain <laughs> that a little bit? Um, it seems related.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, moronic. Actually, that, that's why I read
2: read the. Um, the Graeber book because he had a, he has another book called The Utopia of Rules which is about bureaucracies and I um, wrote a piece for uh, the New Yorker Page Turner website that sort of jumped off of that book and also talked about women and workplace novels uh, so I was reading all those workplace novels because I, I wanted to write about this but it's, it's really hard <laughs> um, to write a workplace novel that is compelling actually I'm going to um, shout out a book that is coming out this month, it's called Severance um, by <coughs> Ling Ma, okay. and it is mm. a workplace novel um, that is also about kind of women's lives and America and uh, immigration. I mean, it's really it, she did a wonderful job, but and also in a book that also talks very specifically about a particular kind of work, and that's really interesting to me.
0: I have a question, sort of that piggybacks off of that. So, I read a lot of your essays. And, Thank you. <laughs> and you do seem to deal with big issues like that, you know, big, big ideas, big issues, big problems. When you are writing a novel and you have this in mind and you're thinking, I want to write a bureaucratic novel about <laughs> the issues facing women in the workplace. How do you balance that with, I'm going to write a novel that tells a story about people, you know, for sort of big versus little ideas and, and where, where's the balance? Where does that work? And, and does one ever supersede the other or get in the way of the other?
2: Well, I think also like a
0: five-part question. Good work,
1: <laughs> I, ultimately, me. Ultimately, <laughs> good
2: at that. <laughs> the reason I am um, sort of I, I wouldn't say I got far enough into it to like abandon the course, but I, I guess just my idea of what I was doing changed very swiftly, um, and it's because I didn't f- really have the chops to mm. um, do the kind of workplace ideas in a way that. Would be interesting because you do have to really get into people, and I guess I just it it wasn't I, I I don't want to say like you know everyone in an office like that's boring. You don't want to hear about all of them, and there are because there are some books that do really have a wonderful cast of characters that come to life. But I think more often they can feel sort of like you know archetypes or um, kind of parodic a, a little bit, and which, I didn't really want to do that.
0: Which works if you're writing an office sitcom.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly there, there are forms um, and styles that lend themselves, I think, better to a workplace novel. But I just, uh, it, it was, I couldn't do it the way that I wanted to do it, and um, also I think as soon as I started writing stuff about motherhood really kind of galloped over everything else. Um, so, you know,
1: the others... As motherhood does. The <laughs> ideas are still
2: in there, but that's the lens through, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm dealing with all of them.
0: Yeah, you get her out of the workplace pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, should we should we talk... Should we give the listeners just a sense of what the novel's about? Have we done that?
0: You know, you're right. We really haven't. So why don't... Yeah, we... Sometimes I mean, you make that. I love that, this book, so yeah. uh, I'm
1: going oh, to. Uh, but sometimes you make it, the mistake of assuming. But but I think if we jump in and start talking about yeah, Daphne, without, people are going to say, well, who's, who's Daphne? Daphne?
0: So, without giving too much away, though.
1: Yeah, no plot spoilers.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, so I should. You want yes. To, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, so The Golden State is a novel about a woman um, named Daphne, who is the mother of a 16 month old toddler uh, named Honey. And she is married to a Turkish man named Engin who is uh, in... Uh, Turkey, because he has lost his green card and for various kind of nefarious reasons uh, and is working on getting another one. But the process has been delayed due to bureaucratic.
0: I like nefarious and yet weirdly mundane at the same (laughs) time.
1: Well, that's what our sort of kind of thing. And I think immigration in particular. I mean, that's
0: one giant. I like the way you you sort of navigate that.
2: Um yeah I mean I uh well to so she uh
1: it's a road trip she has story, this yeah.
2: situation she's working in a job where she's just feeling kind of feeling all the pressures of uh single parenting and uh has some kind of dissatisfactions in the workplace and so she for reasons that aren't totally clear uh gets up and Uh, Drives her inherited Buick Lesabre to the very, very, very far north of California, um, what's called the North State, and uh,
0: Jefferson, as some call it. um,
2: Yeah, the state of Jefferson, uh, and goes to her ancestral mobile home. in the fictional town of uh, Alta Vista, but since this is a maybe a California audience, uh, people who have been to Alturas uh, yeah, I was might... In
1: the fictional county of Paiute yeah, County. Yeah, in the fictional I'm county. Very, we were both I, of us was, very <laughs> curious. looking up on Wikipedia yeah. Yeah, as to
0: why you chose to make it a fictional place.
2: Um, I don't have great... Re- well, I think initially I did it because I needed to... I mean, just in the most like, ham-fisted, first-time novelist way, I felt like I needed a little room to embellish, and if I was picking a place that was a place that you could find on a map, then I would feel more sort of obligation to get everything absolutely right. I hear you. Then, so that's kind of the first most basic reason, but then the second one is because there are, there's like a board of supervisors meeting uh, in the book and there's some kind of political activities and I wanted them to be taken from things that are real but not any one particular one uh, it was convenient for me to make it sort of a mishmash so the Board of Supervisors meeting is actually based on um, one from Siskiyou County uh, and not, so my mom grew up in Modoc County so that's kind of my frame of reference so I mean the the differences in some cases are so small that it just seems silly that I made it fictional but again I I wanted a little room for kind
0: of license, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in that decision when writers make it, especially because I understand why you would make it. And When I work on something and, and it's in a real place, I want to get every detail perfect to the point of where it gets in the way
1: Yeah.
0: sometimes. And you, Lori. I mean, you're so Californian.
1: <laughs> well, I, as I and said. And you're so
0: into setting.
1: I love so many things about this book. And I we have to, I, but I have to put 16-month-old honey in the back seat because (laughs) all of us who are parents who have driven for long distances Mm -hmm. with our child in the car seat in the back know how tough that is Mm -hmm. so here we have Daphne who's really on the verge of breaking down and she's got to deal with this 16-month-old and they're going they're going hundreds of miles Mm -hmm. I don't really know how far it is
0: hundreds of miles on a whim Well. You know, and she just threw everything in the car, and off we go.
1: Yeah, she's there's a lot the way, of desperation. I and let think. me say,
0: I'm glad when my child was small that those forward facing car seats were the norm, because I always, you know, you, no, you, you adjust sure. the mirrors, so you can look out of
1: yeah. them. Yeah. So yeah. Also, well, her big yeah illegal act is to put honey forward facing. Forward. For you see, which yeah, you know, of course, every parent wants to do. I I couldn't <laughs> hand, I couldn't stand it that no, he was facing I didn't backwards. See him. But the, another thing I love about the book is that it's the high desert, and it's a part of California that most people don't know. But it's a, it's so unlike the Bay Area, but it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested because we both love setting. Yes. Like, what attracted you to to write about that place, to describe that place, to to root your characters in that place? You know, how does that place what look is like it? them? I mean, there's so many questions I have, but um, I'm sure you can your writer's brain is wrapping itself around all of them? Um,
2: Well, I think, so my um, mom grew up in Modoc County and my grandparents lived there when I was growing up, and so we would visit, and I uh, grew up in a Foreign Service family. So Daphne, the character, we share many kind of similarities. She's certainly not me, but it's, I can kind of consider her like a counterfactual uh, version of me in some ways, but I grew up in a Foreign Service family, so lived all over the place but we would always come back uh, and you know for home leave we would go and uh, and
1: home was to find us uh,
2: so that's funny that's just what they call it in the in the state department wow. home leave you go on you know you have a period to go home but
0: you didn't so, you weren't keeping a house here
2: Um. well home, yeah that's what I mean was oh, home
1: Iowa was home San Francisco
2: well when we lived in the US we lived in Washington DC mm-hmm. and so we owned a house there um, that we would rent out when we were on f- overseas postings but my mom's Often it's, like, to visit family. So my dad is uh, from the peninsula and my mom oh, is from Modoc County. Yeah, so they're both oh, from California. Oh, um, So California was, like, home, but we didn't actually uh, live here.
1: Uh, until so home was a place you'd never lived. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that. I think that's very you, much informs the novel. Yes. Well, And
0: being Californian specifically is such a weird thing. Old-time Californians mm-hmm. are nothing but old-time Californians, no matter where they are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So how strange to come back to the ancestral homeland and to have it part of it be east of the the Sierras.
2: Yeah, um, so I thought about that a lot because I feel very connected to that place, but I have no, I have no like claims on it. And so kind of thinking about authenticity and you know who belongs places is always interesting to me. And I mean, you know my I'm, my mom when she left home, she never went back. I mean, she's never lived there or wanted to. Um, places. Uh- Modoc County, where is that? So it's where Oregon, Nevada, and California meet. Okay.
0: So most northeast.
1: Far northeast corner. So it's the northeast corner, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the
0: highway that runs through there? Uh,
1: 395.
0: 395.
1: Oh, so up from Bishop. Okay, got it. Yeah, all the way up. All the way up. (laughs) All the way up, yeah. So there she is driving to Alta Vista.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, there is an Alta Vista in Inyo County, which I—it's two words, not one. So I feel like I'm going to really confuse people who are trying to like. I mean, that's still east of the Sierras, but.
0: Uh, and we will the Google Sierra, it. yeah. We will. Yeah, we are I
1: think it's fine. I, I just love the fact she has a mobile home. I mean, that was also part of the physical environment because it's so dare well, I say, symbolic, you know, of kind of her rootlessness and trying to figure out where the hell she belongs in life. But and you know, but and it was, even in parenting, she's trying to figure it out. But it, it, was, it, was,
0: it was a challenging choice to make because it could easily have been parody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the trailer mm-hmm. park. Right. And you don't choose to do that. There's a lot of choices you make that I find really interesting, and I want to hone in on one right now. Okay. And that is structural. And I did read one review that said it's hard to get through all the run-on sentences. And we talked about it a little bit, and Lori pointed out smartly that's how your brain works when you're trying to get a 16-month-old from point A to point B. So talk a little bit about what the process you underwent to decide how to do that. And as an editor,
1: how hard was it to
0: not go, okay, I've got uh, it. this is a run-on as sentence? As an
1: editor, I know. I were thinking about all these hats you've got,
2: hats um, on hats.
1: Initially... So I guess when I
2: started writing, and it became clear that I was not going to write the great bureaucratic novel uh, that (laughs) no one is waiting for, um, I, you know, the thing that was foremost on my mind is being with a small child, and so and it and it changed as I as I kind of moved forward in time. So when I first started writing like little vignettes for it, uh, my eldest daughter was six months old, so there was a six month old baby, and then I just sort of stopped doing anything with it, and then when I finally came back to it in earnest, she was older. And I was like, oh, now now, now the baby, now the child is older. Um, But I was thinking, like, I want to put this experience on paper, but because I really haven't seen it very much. Mm -hmm. You just don't, there are lots of children and lots of parents in literature, but there just isn't the kind of parenting experience. Just that Uh, idea of
0: being in the weeds. Yeah.
2: Um, And so I really wanted to do that, but that was its own kind of interesting challenge uh, because it's so boring. And so trying to figure out how to, present that and include the boredom, but not make it just so excruciating for the reader. Uh, That was my kind of formal, I guess, the biggest sort of thing I posed for myself. Um.
1: So I just have to say, on page two of the novel, we have this great phrase. I don't think you do it before then, where we say, "...and wiped her tears, changed her diaper, replaced her jammies, gave her kisses, carried her to the kitchen." No ands and no commas, and I was
0: like,
1: <laughs> "Well, that's a mistake. That, that there should be commas there." And then I thought, "It's perfect." Yeah, because it, it's, tum- it's it's all happening in a tumbling down fashion. when you fashion. have a sixteen-month-old who needs tending, you have no commas in yeah. your life or in your head, <laughs> or ands, yeah, or ands. So, so um, I was so glad you did that. Thank you. But
0: how hard was it to not edit yourself at that point?
2: Um. Honestly, it was not that hard. I mean, I think when I read over, there definitely, there were moments where I was like, this is just too much, this is god-awful, you know, because the whole book can't be written like that, but Mm -hmm. when you need to move time forward um, in those sort of mundane events, that was a good way, Uh, and... I mean, I, I did the hardest thing because I've never written a novel before, and I, I really was doing stuff like, "How do you Google? How do you write a novel? Like you, because you're making all of these decisions that you've never really thought about before." You
1: know, I hate to say that. I can relate to that, so I'm guessing our listeners can relate to it too. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> as a as a first time novelist, like what is time?
2: What is, what is narrative authority? It's just all so you and you, you can do anything. Um, so I did just making time pass was the hardest problem and like Mm -hmm. you know because there is a lot of immediacy I'm trying to find the balance between having that immediacy but then not including everything because, you know, it takes place over 10 days but there are, it's not every single moment of those days but you're supposed to feel like it is. Mm-hmm. So, like, figuring out when I could just close the day and not have, you know, include the rest of the things that happen. That right, was, not every diaper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and did you get any pushback from editors and agents when you were, because of the style? And, yeah.
2: Um, well, so my, um lovely agent, Claudia Ballard. Uh, she asked, you know, do you want to see the passes when I send this book out on submission? Uh, and I thought that I was a person who wanted to have all of the information. So I was like, yes, I want to hear every no, and I want to see all the stuff they said. And then she sent me some of them, and I was like, maybe I don't need to <laughs> read these. Uh, Not
1: but terribly helpful.
2: Um, there were, I mean, I felt that as far as the style goes, people really understood what I was doing. Uh, some people, they were just kind of like, I don't see where this is going to go. Um,
1: or... This was for the first 50 pages, or the um, whole book? This is when
2: she sent, she sent the whole book the out, whole book. yeah, on okay. out
1: submission. Um, well, it certainly goes somewhere. That's silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on.
2: Um, and some, yeah, some people were like, it just, I don't know, they wanted something different than what it was, but mm-hmm. I, but the editors who responded, they understood, and all of them uh, had small children. They mm. were like, <laughs> we get what you're doing, um, and we like it, so...
1: Well, I saw in the reviews that the word momentum came up, mm-hmm. and for me, that I heard you read a Babylon Salon before before the book came out. Before I knew you as an editor, and I was really swept away. And I thought, and I thought, oh, well, she's writing about driving a 16 month old around i wasn't quite clear you know listening is harder exactly where they were going but it was so interesting
2: oh thank you and i just
1: thought that is that is incredible and that was the sense of momentum and i think larry is really right because it lives in the style not just in the content and that's always wonderful when a book does that
0: yeah and was there any concern you had just said that um the editors who had small kids got it. Mm-hmm. Was there any concern? How are we going to sell this to people who don't or never have had small kids?
2: Uh, I think they all had that. Um, I mean, I know uh, my, the editors who mm-hmm. ha- showed interest. Um, my editor, Emily Bell, um, who also is um, from California and she lives mm-hmm. in Petaluma. Um, she, I know she got other reads from people who didn't have children um, because mm-hmm. she was smart. Uh, and I mean, the thing is that even people who have children, some of them aren't going to like the book. Uh, But, yeah, I obviously, you know, shared some concern that it was going to only be for those people. But even if that is the case, there just aren't that many of those books. So Yeah, and
0: sometimes I think maybe it's okay to, you know, say, well, it's not a universal book. But there's lots of people with kids, and this is a story I want to tell, so I'm telling it.
1: Plus, I think the the other part that I loved about the book was that she— Daphne, you know, we're deep in her head, and I just love hearing all her imaginings. That also really drew me in. But you also get her frustration with this this other creature. You also get a sense of intimacy. You get her love. I mean, all of that, I think, made it really well-rounded. And I think a relationship with a 60-month 16 month old is odd. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's deeply intimate and it's deeply weird. I mean, we have to use the word weird, I think. It's weird. It's so weird. And particularly when you're alone, because if you have another parent to kind of turn into an adult, you know, oh, did you see that beautiful tree? You know, Mm -hmm. and then someone will understand what that means. I mean, in the way you want them to understand it, not in a 16 month old way. Um, You know, well, there just,
0: also aren't very many other times in your life when someone's depending on you to keep them alive.
1: Yeah, 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 and and also, but honey, like most toddlers, is also fiercely independent and wants to do things her way. I mean, it was all, <laughs> it was all really perfect. And I, but I, I don't know why. I had no problem with her just taking off.
2: Well, thank you. I think- you know,
1: I mean, you said for unknown reasons, but I, that didn't stop me. I just thought.
2: Well, I think everyone has that impulse. Um, mm-hmm. And I, so I was, when I say that she's kind of like counterfactual to me, I was like, what are feelings that I've had that in a different, that I would act on differently in, in a different set of conditions? Um, and so like, yeah, everyone sits at their desk or whatever their uh, job is. Um, I'm that's I'm privileging the white collar workplace here. It's not everyone sits at the desk, but I think any work you have, <laughs> on your couch. Um, you, uh, Sometimes you just don't want to be there, Right. and you're like, "I would love to leave." I'm out, uh, and you know, usually you don't do that because
0: I like that she checks. <laughs> she checks her checking account first because I, 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 I'm a pedestrian reader, and I'm like, "Where is the money coming from?" Yeah. In this case, it's not. Yeah. Um, let's back up a little bit. Do we
1: want her to read at some point? We, we do want her that?
0: to read, but let's wait because okay. I want to back up before ahead. the book because I feel like there's some some themes that you write about. Hmm that seem pretty clear, and I want to coax them out of you by hearing about your life. Okay. <laughs> so you had said you grew up in, with, with uh, your father was in foreign service. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what that means. Oh, so
2: it's just a, a, a vague term, but um, he worked for the State Department, so he was a diplomat. Uh, cool. And uh, so we moved a lot. Um,
0: you moved a lot, and you were always sort of an alien
2: mm-hmm.
0: in these countries. So when you write about outsider this, you come by it honestly, including I read this, the essay about the dress.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> For <laughs> so people who haven't read it,
2: just...
0: It's about you yeah. were in high school, boarding school. Mm-hmm.
2: It's about my prom dress. <laughs> surrounded
0: by wealthy people and preppy people and not matching. But, so how do you think that informs your feelings? Um, the things that are important to you, the things you write about, not only um, feeling like an outsider because you move a lot, but because where you grew up among cultures that aren't Western.
2: Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, one thing about the uh, being in the Foreign Service, and I think in any, in any of the kind of iterations, and this is true of people who, I mean, I went to high school with a lot of kids who we called them Aramco kids because their families worked for Saudi Aramco. And mm. so they um, lived in compounds and, Um, Saudi Arabia and so there are lots of different contexts wherein Americans uh, or uh, foreigners of any kind are going to live in another place uh, but sort of serving a very specific mission so I think uh, you're definitely not you're not like integrating into life uh, in the same way in any of the places you're going right
0: because when you're in school in Armenia, are you going to the English language school?
2: So that's why I went to boarding school because in Armenia there was not a school at the time mm-hmm. we moved um, where it would have made sense for me to go. So the only place that I went to school uh, in a country that was not the U.S. was in Greece from fourth or no, uh, kindergarten through third grade. Uh, and that was uh, an American school. So it was a lot of kids of diplomats from all over the world. And there were um, Greek kids, but definitely, you like know, mostly very defined by kind of class and uh, and whatever your parents did. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I there's kind of like a you know romantic vision you can try and sell of yourself, just like mixing it up in every new place you go, but it's really not like that. And so that, it's the kind of feeling of um, being a little bit at a remove. Yeah, I would uh, wonder if
0: it was, I'm here, but I'm not really here. I'm yeah, really
2: nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so
1: that, a bit of a bubble, I mean. I'm, oh, it's a complete yeah. bubble.
2: I mean, there was a place it closed well during our first posting, but you know, in Athens there was the base, and there was a big uh, U.S. military base which now is not there anymore. But you know, you would go there and you would like rent videos and get hot dogs, <laughs> and um, so you know, Americans always find a way to create their own. Little bring, <laughs> bring a little bit we of. America with them. Yeah. But when you
0: were living this way growing up, did you long for? roots? Did you ever think, ah, I wish I just was in Alturas? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's. It, I mean, I remember so clearly the feeling of how kind of exotic it was to come to California um, and visit all my grandparents and, like, do these things and see places that we just didn't get to do and, and I loved it. I remember when I would go to my grandparents' house in Alturas and I would get to watch Nick at Night and eat ice cream and it was just, like, the best thing ever. Um, so... Yes, but then, you know, when you get older and you're like, no, I don't – probably probably don't, don't really want to uh, – I don't
0: belong there either. Live,
2: yeah, um, live there, although, you know, I love to visit. But, uh, yeah, they're definitely – that's certainly a huge part of this. And then um, sort of adding the extra layers of marrying someone who right. um, comes from a different cultural context, mm-hmm. uh, then that makes – because, you know, you're, she has a child who is – Decisions Absolutely. have to be made about mm-hmm. how to raise her so that she can feel that she does belong where she is. Or, um,
1: But it's interesting because after college, you chose to teach English in Turkey. So you were still drawn to that mm-hmm. kind of cross-cultural world.
2: Yeah. I mean, I definitely... Uh, I- I think going somewhere kind of on my own terms uh, was very attractive (laughs) to me. My turn. Yeah. My choice. And, you know, choosing to learn a language and... Um, but, you know, when I was in Turkey, I loved it so much, but I, I came back to California. Mm. I'm, you know, my mom lives in Davis and mm. at that time my, uh, grandparents were alive. Uh, and I have a grandmother who lives in Menlo Park and mm. I was just like, I need to be closer. Mm. And you know, then now I'm here. <laughs> um,
0: and do you feel rooted now?
2: Uh, yes, but now now
0: that you found the rent control department, <laughs> I read that one too.
2: Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I didn't read that one. <laughs> uh, Yes, but now it's just a. I mean, like any person, you know, people who grew up uh, living in the city or around the oh, city who just like
0: could get pulled out.
2: You can't. You, you don't know if you can stay. So I think any. I mean, insecurity just kind of um, is the is the word of the day for most of the people mm-hmm. in the world uh, for various reasons. You know, and some mm-hmm. of them are, and obviously like completely different types of insecurity. But um, I think yeah, just kind of people move and migrate and. Um, you can't just sort of count on the fact that you're going to be one place forever.
0: And let's talk a little bit about your development as a writer. When I always love asking this question mm-hmm. to people that come in the Grotto Pod. Was there a moment when you were a kid where you did an assignment or you wrote a story for someone and somebody looked at it, an adult probably, and said, oh, this is good. You should keep doing this.
2: Um, well, I was certainly a precocious child. Mm -hmm. Um, I am an only child and I had this kind of, you know, strange upbringing. I read a lot of books. I was, you know, very insufferable. Um, So I certainly had positive feedback from teachers about writing and reading um, from an early age. But then I I kind of went off the rails and I was a really, really bad high school student and college student. And um, where did you go to college? I went to Hamilton College uh, in upstate New York. I know it. And I had, I mean, I had some wonderful, wonderful English and comparative literature classes there that were very meaningful to me. But I was just generally a a mess um, for high school and college. Uh, So then if people said anything, it was kind of like, why are you, why are you wasting your life? Why don't you you
0: apply yourself?
2: (laughs) uh, And I mean, I think I knew that I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, And so I didn't actually write anything.
0: You just Google it?
2: Until, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, until, I mean I had you know I had the feeling the the feeling like I just I want to do it uh, yeah. and but I didn't do it until I was uh, 25
0: so I, what were you doing instead
2: um, I worked for well I went to Turkey and I was had a job there and then I came back to California and I got a job um, with a at a children's and babies clothing consignment store uh, which still exists Chloe's Closet Cortland Uh, And with a rare book dealer uh, the rest of the week. Uh Um, So the Brick Row Bookshop, which is at 49 Geary. It's a wonderful, wonderful store um, owned by John Crichton, who he just I just kind of emailed him and said, do you need anyone to help you? And he said, why don't you come in? And and then he gave me a job. Um, So I worked for him. uh, And that's when I started thinking, okay, how am I? I should I want to write something what do I do like I can get a WordPress blog uh, what will I put in it and I decided that since I read a lot um that was kind of a natural fit so I just started talking about books um, and
0: and you went this is your first novel and but you've done essays and nonfiction and reviews that sort of thing was mm-hmm. that by design
2: um I think when I start well I know I don't think i I remember saying this but when I started writing um book reviews and you know, just kind of like fun bloggy stuff about books, I was like, I'm, this is, I'm happy. Like, I'm just want to write this stuff. Uh, I'm not going to write anything else. And then that started to feel limiting. And I started to try and branch out into kind of other types of essays. And then I still was like, I am, you know, I wouldn't write a book. I, and I remember meeting with someone I had, I did one of those horrible things where I was like, can I, you know, just ask you about, your life or um, it was, it was a, I think
0: that's called informational interview.
1: in the <laughs> I know, but it's world. called the grotto pod <laughs> I, did, I did it to um,
2: Ethan Nosowski um, who was really lovely and very kind and he I came to his office and I remember asking him can you be a writer and you know have a work as a writer if you just write book reviews and he said I don't think so um, and uh, I was like okay well
0: I'm Better think of other stuff to write.
2: Yeah. And I always worked full-time or was in school and working, and then writing was just a thing that I did kind of in the evenings. Um, And then I was like, oh, actually, I do want to write a book, and I have been hiding that for myself for a while. Did
0: you – okay, so when that idea hit you, was it just, I want to write a book, or I've got an idea for a book, I'm going to write a book? Do you know what I mean? Was it abstract? I want to be a book writer. Or was it, oh, I've got this story to tell when write a book?
2: It was the latter. So I started, mm. yeah, basically it's like you have things that you want to say and do you have the correct container to put them in. And so well, previously I, like I had what I wanted to say was about books or some sort of essay-shaped thing. Mm-hmm. And I could fit them all in together, even though th- all the things I write are actually pretty weird and talk about several things at once. Um And then I finally, you know, when I became a parent, I was like, I just now have stuff I don't I don't have the shape to put it in. And it has to be a book Um, because, you know, the things I was thinking about in the book, like our immigration system and migration and uh, parenthood and all that stuff. Like, I want to talk about those things, but I'm not like a journalist and I don't, you know, I was like, what, what, you know, what, what's the shape? And the book, the novel was the only shape I could think of.
1: So, what drew you to writing about immigration? Did did you no, did we haven't you finish, asked that yet? Did you finish answering? Because mm-hmm. that was yeah, a yeah. great oh, question.
0: Oh, yeah. We're ready for another question. <laughs> <No>. Fire away.
1: <laughs> because I'm also really fascinated with the immigration system, and I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are right now because it's so much in the news. But I'm assuming you wrote this book. You started this book before yeah. Trump was president. Oh yeah. So, but I think you were so you were drawn to it before it was on the news every day, before we had all the horrific stories. But So I'm really interested, like, what, pull, you know, what was speaking to you about that?
2: Um, well, I actually had friends of friends who had a situation that was pretty mm. similar. Um, so I was writing the book in, so let's see, I sold the book in March of 2017. So I was writing the book in 2016, and the book takes place in the summer of 2015. Um, so Donald Trump is, like, not...
0: He, on the radar said Well,
2: he's on the radar, but
0: I—it's I, that like, period where I'm telling everyone, "Come on!" You
2: know, yeah, it was the yeah.
1: birther movement. Yeah, um,
2: mm-hmm. but yeah, it's post—you know—post Tea Party, post birther, yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah, this this had happened to people that I knew, and and I I don't know them super well, but I would see them periodically or, or see her periodically and just get an update, and mm. it was just so like unreal to me how. Crappy it was, um, and then also I mean when I was growing up. So of one of the they give you know you can they find sometimes little jobs for um, foreign service brats to do around uh, embassies and consulates. And so I had a job in the Athens consulate one summer home from high school. I was the visa office photographer. Uh, uh-huh. Oh my and so, goodness! So you take uh, photos of people in this office, and so you can see all the people who are waiting to meet with consular officers and plead their case, uh, and it's like. I don't, I don't think, I just, I, it's weird to me that there are people who who feel like some people deserve to be someplace and other people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you see, I mean, you know, you just see people gathered there and they're, like, showing all their financial information. And it's just such a weird and, like, kind of barbaric uh, system just, that we have. You
0: almost just quoted yourself.
2: Because
0: oh. <laughs> I have a quote, so I think about authenticity and who belongs in a place. hmm This idea of place just seems to keep coming back. Who belongs in a place? What does a place mean? Um, And it it does seem, I mean, it seems logical that growing up as you grew up, you would be thinking a lot about place. So from this point forward, I know it's a little early to ask because your book comes out in two weeks?
2: Three weeks. Three, three,
0: three and a half weeks. Who's counting?
1: Um, <laughs> September 4th, folks. September 4th the Green Apple Books. Yeah, because
0: I think when this airs, that will be next week. Okay. So I think we're two weeks out. Oh, wow. Um, are you going to continue exploring these themes? This is my what's next question. Because we're almost out of time.
2: Uh, oh yeah, oh, we're out of time. Almost. Oh, See how far. fast it
0: goes, Lori. How well, easy this is.
2: I was there being nice because I was also eight minutes late, and I feel bad. No, no,
0: um, I'm doing it by. Don't feel
2: bad.
0: This is this is um, this is GarageBand telling us oh, we're okay. almost out of time, not the okay. clock.
2: Um, yes, I am writing. I'm well, I'm writing. If I say it, then that will make it true. Um, <laughs> I am trying <laughs> to write a second novel that is more explicitly about. Um, the foreign service. So you to find the
0: write the bureaucratic novel.
2: Yeah, it's not. It still that still eludes me. I think, but um,
1: I. That's a fascinating topic.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, so I'm trying to write about um, place again and people who you know uh, Americans abroad and what that's like.
0: Now we had talked to, earlier about the idea of writing about motherhood as a semi universal or universal topic as a way to attract editors and, you know, publishers, like, ooh, hey, this is a good topic. But if you come to someone and say, hey, I've got this incredible life experience that gives me an outlook that nobody else has, is that also exciting to people, to editors and, and agents and publishers? You go, I can write about the Foreign Service because I was there, man.
2: Well, I think um, everyone has an interesting story. Uh, Agreed. It just, you know, depends on how they tell it. So mm-hmm. I think most editors are pretty leery of just anyone um, claiming to – be an interesting writer by virtue of an interesting experience that they've had. Um, unfortunately, they just don't always fit together. And some of the best writers are people who can take what seem like just...
0: Sure. You know. But I think you have a track record.
2: I, I mean, well, I I always struggle to find things to pitch uh, that sound like something um, because you know you have to have this kind of good what is the kernel what's your idea mm-hmm. and I'm the like, writer story, like no, how I am
1: hate I gonna that. I don't the know what my pitch, idea is yeah. until
2: I write it I yeah. have to write it first yeah. um, so I don't know I mean I'm I it's a form to me of a domestic economy to just mine everything I've got and so that's what I've got yeah. and I'm gonna I think that's mine really smart to the extent possible and um, do you
0: think the the, the style you used In writing, Golden State, will that apply to something else? No. That's fascinating because, I mean, you you are a very skilled writer and a very skilled stylist. But it's kind of amazing that you would, and we're going to have you read to give people an idea of what I'm talking about, (laughs) that you would make up this whole sort of, it's almost like making up a world, right? Making up a style and then abandon it, be able to abandon it.
2: Daphne's got to go her own way. I have to figure out how to write in the third, first, close
1: third. Yeah, this is a close.
0: Uh, Man, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess Bob Dylan didn't make the same album over and over again. (laughs) Some people have. Uh, Um, Yeah, why don't you read just the first two sentences. We've we've given a lot of talk about what this is, but now you can tell us how it
2: works. Um, Okay, I'm going to try and figure out where the second sentence ends. um, Day one. I am staring out the window of my office and thinking about death when I remember the way Paiute smells in the early morning, in the summer, before the sun burns the dew off the fescue. Through the wall, I hear the muffled voice of Meredith Meredith shouting on the phone in laborious Arabic with one of her friend colleagues, and in my mind's eye, I see the house sitting empty up there, a homely beige rectangle with a brown lattice deck and a tidy green wraparound lawn to its left, a freestanding garage to its right, and beyond that, an empty lot with juniper shrubs and patches of tall grass where deer like to pick.
0: Any commas in there?
2: Um, There are commas in there. There's commas in that one, yeah. The commas go away when the child appears, usually.
0: That's fantastic, though, because you are so deep inside this protagonist's head, and that's the way thoughts come. You think of something, and then something else adds on to the end.
1: (laughs) But I also want to say that the thing that you've got that makes this come alive is all these delicious details. So if people are wanting to write about... Place. I think the idea, you know, to just look at, just buy this book
0: <laughs> on September fourth. Buy this on book. <laughs> yes. Or you can buy it now. I'll say it won't well, arrive until September fourth. I'm completely
1: 4th. unabashed about it. Um, you know, and then look at how Lydia creates setting. We get smells. We get this homey beige rectangle. You know, tidy green wraparound lawn. I mean, we're not there, but in a way, we're there. So I I love that. I mean, I love that. I love a lot of things about this book. And we haven't even talked about Cindy. We haven't talked about (laughs) Alice.
0: Well, and we're not going to be able to. I know.
1: So you have to buy the book, guys. Because,
0: But we don't, yeah, we don't want to give away too much. (laughs) That's always the the balance you want to find when someone is here with a new book. We want to get them excited about the book, but we don't want to give away the whole book. And we are out of time. So, um, Lydia, can you tell us... uh, website twitter or whatever any other stuff the way people can follow you and get a hold of you
2: um just my name lydia keisling.com um lydia Kiesling is my twitter handle uh,
0: uh and that's k-i-e-s which might L-I-N-G. have some people think it's pronounced Keisling <laughs> <laughs>
2: um yeah um, and September 4th. Do you have Golden any
0: local State. readings planned?
2: I do. So I have, well, actually tonight, well, this is going to air later. Oh, this so, is, in um, um, this yeah. is in the past. This uh, is in the past. So September 4th, I'm very excited to launch the book at Green Apple. And uh, my friend and colleague, Ishmael Mohammed is going to be my conversant. Nice. Uh, is that
0: Green Apple? Uh, books on the Park. On the, on the Park. park. Okay, uh, on night. Night Street, right? Yeah. Yeah. 9th no. yeah. mm-hmm. Avenue. You.
2: Uh, Thank you. And then September 6th, I'm really excited to be reading uh, with Vanessa Waugh at, uh, Oh, at great. City Lights and uh, Vanessa's beautiful Adorno our, book. our yeah. own Vanessa Law um, so everyone will know that her book comes out so I guess next uh, week I think. yeah it's next week yeah. so this week Reverse uh, Stars <laughs> August 15th <laughs> August 15th yeah. Reverse Stars it's an amazing book um, so yeah those are uh, a couple of events and then there'll be more things kind of the, in the next month in October
0: great Jeez, Vanessa's a wrecking crew man Every, she, she is reading with everybody
1: she's
2: great
0: uh, Laurie Ann Doyle how about you? You got a website? You got some Twitter? You got something people can find you?
1: <laughs> Doyle yeah. dot com
0: L-A-U-R-I-E.
1: A-N-N. Yeah. Doyle. D-O-Y-L-E. Dot com. Dot com. Twitter. At Laurieann Doyle. Facebook, Lori and <laughs> Doyle. <author. laughs> I put the Ann in because to be not there's so many Lori Doyle. Well, yeah, and then you there's get a to have story,
0: but. you get to have it just be your name, whereas I have to use that Larry Rosen for oh, Twitter. And, there are a
1: lot of Larry Rosens out there.
0: Yeah, yeah So I use that for Twitter and the uh, old Instagram, and I do have a website for my other podcast, Jews dot com. Uh, as for us here at The Grotto Pod, you will find us at The Grotto Pod on Instagram and Twitter, which reminds me, I have to take a picture of you guys before you leave to show people that we actually did record a podcast today. We want to thank our partners the San Francisco Public Library. Oh, yeah. um, if you listen to last week's episode, I guess by then it'll be three weeks ago, uh, we, we did a... Installment of our My Favorite Book series, this time with poet Matthew Zapruder, whose favorite book was The Lice by W.S. <laughs> Merwin. That was a heavy man.
1: Book of poetry.
0: Uh, we'll be back there in, the. I don't know the date exactly, but Ingrid, shoot.
2: Rojas Contreras? Yes.
0: Thank you. Beautiful book. A total dead brain moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, she will be our guest, and we will, I will not tell you what book we're going to talk about. It'll be a surprise. And our other partners... Who's our Babylon other partner? Salon. And when is the next Babylon Salon? Now that we've got you here.
1: September 8th, featuring Tommy Orange. Oh, that lineup on is amazing. Yeah, we have an, a, a, listen, it's an amazing lineup, folks. If you can make it, you're going to great... we got to get him. Great... I'm, I'm coming.
0: I will be coming, too. And I might even say something. Are they here, post for a picture, ladies. Look at this. Okay, we want to thank our producers. Loriann Doyle. <laughs> hey! Lee Kravitz, Beth Weingartner. Miss you, BQ. Come back soon. Uh, Do you know what BQ says to end the episode? Do you want me to say it? I do. BQ always says the same thing every week, so I'm going to say it. She takes us out by saying read, write, and just keep working.